We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace on PacersTalk.net. And before we get things going, I just want to say thank you guys so much for listening to our show. We really appreciate it. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. But today, joining me as he does every Sunday and Monday, the one and only Kent Sterling. Kent, what's going on, man? Not too much, Alex. Hey, you know what? The, the clock is ticking and we're getting really close to meaningful basketball, which is great. Oh, I know. It's it's crazy to think that we're almost through the month of July. It's been March. Since March, we've seen the Pacers in action. So, you know, we, we were doing some podcasts, did our list, and then we took a little bit of a break because there wasn't a whole lot to talk about. But now we have so much to talk about. And I want to start things off talking about Victor Oladipo. So yeah. as many of you know, before he went to Orlando, he stated that he was not going to be playing, and then just a few short days later decided, oh, actually, I am going to play. So, Kent, uh, you want to fill everybody else in on the other details that are surrounding the Oladipo storyline right now? Yeah, well, Victor found out that there was a dispute between the NBA and the NBPA about whether he should be paid his $3 bucks. The Pacers, they want to pay Victor. They're good about paying him whether he plays or not. But the NBA and the NBPA, they've got a dispute over whether Vic gets his money. 
and so, d depending on whether he plays. So mm -hmm. Vic got wind of this, and all of a sudden now he is very, very optimistic about playing, and we have significant reason to believe that it's all about the three million bucks and not about competing with teammates and and all the stuff that he said the other day when he had his media availability with the Pacers. That media availability. Victor spent a lot of time hemming and hawing and saying a bunch of phraseology that was utterly meaningless. It was just words rather than meaningful uh, stuff. And that is occasionally the way Vic communicates when he's not being entirely forthcoming. And, and so there's reason to believe that Vic, for him, it's all about the cash. And I think that that's unfortunate. I think that a guy making $21 million a year who's kind of the head of his own corporation, as it were, I think that guy ought to get better advice in dealing with the media and, and how he portrays himself publicly than he has. Maybe it's not important to him how people in Indiana kind of perceive him. I think that it should be, and I think that the way he's communicating with the media and then through the media with the fans has been unfortunate. Yeah, the timing of all this has been so hard to understand, and the only real logical reason for him returning would be the whole money situation. Now, let me ask you this because I just I'm I'm not sure how the entire thing works with the NBA and the NBA uh, MBPA, but if the Pacers said, "Hey, we're going to pay him that 3 million anyway." Can they override that or is this uh, an issue that they have no control over? They have no control over it. Gotcha. This is collectively bargained. Okay. And and so the NBA and the NBPA, they're going to have to come to some resolution and off you go. I, I guess if Herb Simon wanted to, he could make it good on the back end if Vic signs an extension here. But one way or another, the NBA and NBPA, they've got to come to a, a, a solution in this thing and, and negotiate it out and figure it out. Right. So just talking about Oladipo here now. So there are a lot of fans that I've realized are, you know, 100% in Vic's corner saying, I completely understand why he's sitting out, save himself for next year. You know, this yep. is a real big opportunity for him. But then you see fans that are frustrated that if he's 100% healthy, Brian Windhorst comes out on his podcast and says that Oladipo is rumored to be the best player on the court during these scrimmages and practice that are frustrated saying, Hey, if you're healthy, why aren't you playing? You know, you're getting paid by the Pacers to play basketball. Why aren't you playing? You know, there, there's a divided fan base right now, pretty much for how they feel about Victor. And I'm just curious, you know, what are your thoughts on this whole situation with Victor? You know what? I would get either way. I, I get it. You know what? It, it, this He's entering the final year of his deal that pays him uh, $84 million over four years. And at the end of this deal, he's going to sign either with the Pacers or with another NBA team for a whole bunch of money if he stays healthy for in it's significantly over $100 million. This is the biggest contract that he's ever going to sign. It is in his best interest to maximize his ability to earn. And if he was going to say, look, this is just too weird, uh, I'm coming back from this almost unprecedented injury, and so I'm going to sit. I, I would understand that. I would also obviously understand if he said, you know what, I'm a competitor. If I can play, I'm going to play. I yeah. played for 13 games. I've, I feel pretty good. I'm not 100%, but I'm ready to go. I'm ready to contribute to the team. The Simons are paying me a lot of money, and off we go. The thing that I can't cotton is the kind of splitting the baby and and that you know saying no it's about the future but then it's really not about the future and the ability to earn more than 100 million it's about the ability to cash checks in the amount of 3 million or almost 3 million for the rest of this season 
I think that that that's both short sighted and hypocritical and completely wrong. And whatever he wants to do, I'm cool with. I understand making this a business decision. I also understand making this a competitive decision. Mm-hmm. But what Vic's trying to do is split the baby and it's wrong. Yeah, that that's that's a great point. And I, I think right now, if you look both at the Pacers front office and Oladipo, this, this is a very tough situation going into next season and heading into his free agency the year after. I mean, the pressure is on Kevin Pritchard. He knows that. And I think Oladipo, you know, whatever decision he makes, this is one he's going to have to live with. So if he re-ups in Indiana, you know, and he does he really feel like this team can win a championship if that's what his ultimate goal is? Or does he decide to leave and, you know, I hate to say it, but he's going to become a bad guy here in Indiana if he leaves. I mean, I just think that's the, the storyline that's going to be portrayed. And my thought through all of this, Oladipo playing this you know, NBA restart, and if he plays the whole entire time and shows how good he is, this is best-case scenario for the Pacers because this gives them a chance to not only, A, look and see how good he is against other people, but it gives them a chance to go into contract negotiations feeling better about offering him a max deal because who knows how much it's going to cost to keep him. But at the same time, if Oladipo says, hey, I want out, you know, maybe before the season starts, then they have at least some type of sample size to – make him a, a, a somewhat of trade bait. Because if he doesn't play, I don't think the value for Victor Oladipo is very high as far as trading him. <laughs> because no team's going to want to take a risk on a guy that they can't, you know, see in action and someone that they feel might be having lingering issues. I mean, I, uh, injury issues. I can't see them wanting to give up more than maybe a future protected pick and uh, a loaded contract to get Oladipo back. So it's it's a very weird spot. But I think best case scenario is Oladipo plays great, helps the Pacers win, and, you know, it helps his trade value. Well, and it becomes very difficult, I think, for Kevin Pritchard to be able to sell the idea to a a bona fide star in the NBA. And we know what it takes to win a championship in the NBA. You, you've got to get stars. And if you're going to lose Paul George, and then you're going to lose the guy who was a, as important a piece as you got in return for Paul George, that being Oladipo also along with Domas Sabonis, who's turning into a a hell of a basketball player in his own right. If you can't keep stars here, then you're going to have a tough time selling a fan base on the proposition that you're capable of winning a championship. And if Oladipo runs to Miami, which is uh, um, the rumor that uh, this, and this is preposterous, but the the rumor is that Jimmy Butler is trying to get Victor and Giannis to go down to Miami and and go play for the Heat. Uh, Victor's got a home down there, so the rumor, you know, there's some uh, reasons to think that there's there there's a hint of truth behind it. But if Vic goes to Miami along with Giannis and Butler, then he's uh, I mean he's Chris Bosh, yeah. right? In, in in that threesome, if you compare it to what the what the Heat had with LeBron, Dwayne, and and Bosh. So you know, I I I don't see that as the way for Victor Oladipo to maximize his earnings. Maybe it maximizes his ability to win a championship. But this, if his motivation is to win a championship, when better to kind of nut up and go for it than right now? Yeah, you've got a, a good regular season uh, record. You've got a chance in these final eight games. Three of the first four are against teams under 500. 
you got a, a chance to move up into the top four seeds of the East. And who knows what's going to happen with COVID? I mean, if, if, if Giannis tests positive at some point, all bets are off in the Eastern Conference. And you've got a chance, if you're the Pacers, to kind of put together a little something of a run in the postseason. Why not now if mm-hmm. Victor Oladipo is out there hunting rings? Yeah, that's that's a good point, too. And, you know, I, I think about the rumors that have been going around and I've heard that Oladipo will even be willing to take a pay cut, which goes against everything that J. Michael reported where Oladipo knows he wants to make the most money. So right. that'd be that'd be interesting to see if he would take a pay cut. It would possibly be a sign-and-trade, and we might get some assets back from from Miami. And, I mean, that's not a bad thing. But I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about Kevin Pritchard keeping stars here. And one thing that we know, the Pacers are notoriously known for not paying, overpaying for players. And – you know, they kind of bank early on guys, hoping that they'll pan out, like a Sabonis, like a Miles Turner. They try to get them locked up before they hit free agency and then try to maybe, you know, get a little bit more value out of that contract than what they would if they let them get into the free agent market. But with Oladipo, I mean, if you let him walk because you're afraid to overpay him, that just sends a horrible message to any other free agents out there, too. And one thing you brought up, which I wanted to touch about today, I forgot, was the Chris Bosh article that came out. You mentioned yeah. Chris Bosh. And honestly, if you read the article, there's literally nothing in there that says anything about him having a racist encounter other than the fact that there's a bunch of white fans in the stands. And I hate to say it, but NBA players, a majority of the NBA is African-American. And th- those guys, when they read that kind of stuff from a voice like Chris Bosh, it's a it's a red flag for Indiana. It's already going to make it less of an attractive place for free agents to come, unfortunately, because of those kind of comments. So, you know, this, this really puts the Pacers in a tough spot, and that's why I think, and I posted in the article yesterday that I wrote, I think Kevin Pritchard has to do everything he can to try to keep Oladipo here, and he's got to figure out, you know, even if you have to overpay, if you have to make a few trades, to, to keep Oladipo here and get another star in here, I think you have to go that route and, and take a swing because being an underachieving team or an overachieving team with the underdog mentality all the time, eventually that's going to not cut it and fans are going to get fed up with first-round exits. You know what? I, I think this too, it, it, that Kevin Pritchard's got to figure out, and this goes for Nate and, and uh, Ryan and Chad and everybody in the front office, Peter, Donnie, they got to figure out whether Victor Oladipo fits these guys, mm-hmm. whether, you know, as a collective, Victor Oladipo helps lift this boat a little bit higher than they would be without him. They were on a pace to win 50 games without Victor Oladipo before Oladipo came back. They sputtered a little bit early. Then they won eight of their last 11 before the shutdown. Uh, I, I really think that these eight games and then the playoffs are going to kind of open a window for Kevin in the front office to figure out exactly what this team is with Victor Oladipo and and what it can be without him. Mm -hmm. And so they would be making that decision with with a bit of additional information. That would be good for everybody. Um, I I do think that they need to keep Vic. I think make – I mean, how many of these trades can he possibly make while, you know – if the NBA is going to take you seriously, if fans are going to take you seriously, you got to keep people once in a while. Once they approach free agency, right. you, you can't just allow everybody to go and, and be put in a corner where you got to trade them. Hopefully Vic sees his future in central Indiana, understands that this is a place where he can achieve a great many of his life's goals. Not, you know, some of which are, are, 
based in fin financial, you know, uh, growth, but a lot of which are, are about kids and about doing the right thing for people in need. And, and hopefully he sees this as a place where he can get a lot of that done. He doesn't want to go anywhere else, but he sure is walking the walk and talking the talk uh, to make you believe that he's kind of the latest in sort of that, that group of Paul George type guys who want the hell out of Indiana or out of a small market, not just Indiana, but out of the small market and go play on the big stage. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's one of those things where I've also heard that Oladipo really wants to, you know, elevate that music career as well, and he can do that in Miami. There's also rumors that he could do that in New York, where, you know, I believe, I don't know who, they hired a bunch of people in New York, and I know he has connections with one of the people they hired. I forget who that exact connection is, but, it, I mean, it all kind of ties together. I mean, New York's always going to be rumored to every free agent in the business just because it's New York, but... You know, at the end of the day, I mean, Kevin Pritchard can do all that he can, but Oladipo, it's going to come down to him and his decision if he wants to stay here or not. And if the Pacers offer him the max deal and he turns it down and walks away, I mean, they can't really control what he does because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. And I do think that because he's never actually tested the free agent market and he's always re-upped with the team that he's had when he's been under contract or when his contract's about to expire, this is his last chance to really – get that kind of treatment where he's going to be pampered and he's going to be catered to and they're going to, you know, try to woo him to their team. So it's it's a tough spot to be in for Pacer fans. I guess all you can hope is that the team has really good success this uh, with the NBA restart and then next year they blow the waters away because you mentioned they were on pace to win 50 games without Oladipo. What do you think their ceiling would have been if he's healthy all year long? That's a great question because we don't know. Right. Yeah. We don't know what this team looks like with him on the floor. Is he a guy who is going to be very Vic centric and is going to want 18 shots a game and is going to play to be an all star? Or is he going to be a guy who, who kind of puts his chips into the middle of the, ta of the table to be competitive and, and to be maybe the second or third best player on a championship level team? Which is it for Vic? And, and if he goes to the Knicks, there is nothing. That, <laughs> if he goes to the Knicks, I, then to hell with him. I'm glad he's gone. Because if he wants to go to the Knicks, there is nothing about championship in his future or in his thought process. And if he's not thinking championship, you're not going to win one. And, you know, goodbye, good luck, sayonara. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, like, if, if you look at it, these, these GMs and these presidents, when they're making these big decisions on who to – you know, pay they're they're paying guys for their production on the court. However, a lot of these athletes have very strong opinions and very strong interests in things outside of basketball. So you know that's another thing that I have to consider too. Like, can he? I mean, I don't really think he is going to be hindered by being in Indiana to grow his music career because I think he's done a pretty good job with it so far being here. Right. So it's just right. what he wants and the platforms he wants. I mean, it's going to be there for him and. Truth be told, once he's done playing basketball, I don't think his voice is going to be gone. So he can sing after he's done playing as, all, as far as I care. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's, Oladipo is a topic. That's the person you got to be paying the most attention to because this injury is, is huge. We want the best for Vic at the end of the day, but we want him in Indiana above all. So uh, just to kind of transition here, Kent, let's talk about the state of the team right now and the rest of these guys. So I'm, I'm sure you've been on these media calls and you've been listening yeah. to Coach McMillan. What is going on right now at the state of the team? 
Well, it, it, everything sounds good. They're being really cautious about soft injuries, injury stuff. Uh, Victor Oladipo has played exceptionally well. The guys are dealing well with the bubble as they should because anybody who has stayed at the Grand Floridian on the, the kind of that Disney World campus, you know what kind of hotel that is. Mm -hmm. Th this is not Wide World of Sports, and it's not Port Orleans where you, you, know, you go to bed and you think, all right, well, this is not a very comfortable bed, but it's Disney World. How much time am I going to spend in bed anyway? <laughs> Grand Floridian is a high-end hotel with high-end amenities, and it is great. Uh, from a comfort standpoint, I think it's as good a property as is on that property. So, uh, you know, I, they're having a good time. They're trying to play golf a little bit, uh, but the work's getting done. And I really like the comportment of this team where it comes to these media calls. We get a little bit of B-roll from the workouts, but not much. And, and then you hear from the guys and it seems like Nate's very happy with the level of work that's being done. They got 12 days to continue to try to get this thing, you know, on its wheels to go compete for an NBA championship. I'm very pleased with with what I hear from them. You know, their record going in 39 and 26. They are tied for fifth right now with Philadelphia. They've got that game first game against Philadelphia on August 1st. And then they've got three games against the Washington Wizards. Uh, they've got a game against Phoenix, and the, the game in the middle of those is Orlando. Mm -hmm. So you, you've got three teams right there with losing records. If they can beat the 76ers, and why couldn't they, then you start this thing 4-0, and all of a sudden you're 43-26, and and maybe you've already caught the Celtics, You've probably already caught the, feet, the Heat. You've got two games remaining against the Heat in the final four games in, in this mini run to the playoffs, this eight-game run. And, and I love where they're at. I mean, th th there's no reason they can't be a top-four seed, and there's no reason they can't compete with everybody in this conference, kind of minus the Milwaukee Bucks, and that's just because Giannis is so damn good. Yeah, no, and it's interesting because they do have some easy games up front. The Lakers, uh, you know, I think they played them towards the end, and yeah, they could already yeah. have their seed locked up. So, you know, they could be resting LeBron heading into the playoffs just to make sure that he's okay, or they might not be going as hard, not worrying about the win or loss here. And I think, you know, this is kind of a, 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 a time and a situation where the guys will have a chance to get their their feet wet and, and see how the chemistry has, has grown through practices how you know how they've kept their bodies in shape and McMillan I know he said that he was really impressed with how everybody came back how everybody was so in shape still thought there might be a little bit uh, of a setback but there really wasn't too much of one so that that's a really good sign and you know the only the biggest thing for me I want to see how Malcolm Brogdon looks because yeah. you know we really haven't got a great sample size of him and Oladipo together and we saw, you know, some really high moments for him this year, but we also saw some low moments, but he was dealing with nagging injuries all year long. And then he comes down, tests positive for COVID before they head out. And, and the thing is, I, I thought it was just awesome to see the story of him wearing a mask in practice. Uh, I, I just thought that that was kind of a, a cool thing to do to sacrifice a little bit <laughs> there and try to make his teammates feel more comfortable. He just yeah. seems like he's a, a true team leader, a true team guy. So it's it's hard not to just be a, a massive fan of Malcolm Brogdon. But, you know, this team, you know, we've seen the talent of this team. They can beat anybody in the Eastern Conference, like you said. You know, Milwaukee's going to give them problems, but they can compete. 
And I think that, you know, if Oladipo's coming back and he's looking good and he's feeling healthy, you know, I understand that we have some matchup problems with both Miami and Philadelphia and Boston. I mean, they're all really good teams, but I don't see any reason why we can't make a series competitive, why we can't push and take these guys to the limit. And if they truly believe that they're ready to take that next step, this is their chance to prove it. Absolutely right. And, and you know, it's Sabonis and Warren and Brogdon. It, and, and Nate's been very happy with his level of work once he's come back to practice. Um, Turner. And then, I really think the bench remains a terrific strength with both holidays. I think Justin Holiday is one of the most underrated kind of utility guys coming off the bench in the NBA. Uh, McConnell McDermott, those guys have uh, have shown themselves to be a very competitive second unit. And I think the second unit's going to be really important, especially in these first eight games. And I think that the Pacers have one of the best second units in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's um, I believe it's Chris Vernon on the Ringer NBA show. He said, one thing about the Pacers, they don't play anybody that sucks. <laughs> you know, right. all the guys that come on the court for them are, are intelligent basketball players that – they contribute in some way or the other. And that's why I'm really glad Oladipo is playing because no offense, Edmund Sumner, but I don't really want to see Edmund Sumner out there nope. compared to seeing Aaron holiday <laughs> with that second unit. So, you know, Sumner's uh, a fun guy to root for, but just not something that I see as a contributor on a winning basketball team. So, you know, the, 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 the ceiling is so much higher with Oladipo out there. And just because the Pacers don't have a lot of guys that, you know, can can hit that pull up mid range jumper. You got T.J. Warren who likes to shoot the floaters a lot. You know, but Sabonis, Turner, you know, they're not great. I mean, Turner doesn't shoot a lot of mid range anymore. He's shooting threes only. Sabonis doesn't shoot a ton. Brogdon's not a great pull up shooter. He's more of a set shooter. So, you know, I think having Oladipo being someone that can really hit those pull up shots are going to be huge. But I will say this: as far as matchups go, I am a little concerned about playing the Heat, even though I know that talent wise they probably are as close to us as everybody else in the Eastern Conference. But Coach Spoh's ability to play zone, it's really affected the Pacers whenever they played them earlier in the year. The Pacers have struggled. I don't know why, but they've struggled to play against the zone. I think that Miami is just so good defensively, they could really give us some fits there on the defensive end. But is there anything, any team that you're worried about playing? I would love to see them play the Heat because I hate them. And, yeah. <laughs> and I love to see the Pacers play teams that I hate. I, I can't stand Jimmy Butler. I, I, th- I think that the way Jimmy Butler's conducted himself through his career, whether he's in Chicago or wherever else he's been, Minnesota, um, uh, has, has been just a train wreck. And, and to be able to take that team in, in the first round or somewhere down the line and, and beat that team's ass because their fans, number one, the fans are idiots. Uh, Heat fans are just utter morons. They're Ill, ill-tempered morons. They get after it on social media like school children. And, and so playing against the Heat gives the Pacers an opportunity to shut up a fan base and shut up a team that I absolutely loathe. And, you know, there's nothing better in the world than a good guy, bad guy playoff series in the NBA. And, and to me, that bad guy, as mediocre as they are, and you'd rather have a bad guy that's really, really good, kind of like the bad boys uh, back in 89 and 90 when they were beating the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals. Those teams you really liked rooting against. They mm-hmm. were bad, and they embraced that. The Heat, they're not good enough to really be uh, universally hated 
but I think Indiana fans hate them. And and I think I'm going to go ahead and speak for T.J. Warren. He, he loathes Jimmy Butler, <laughs> and so I think that that'd be a terrific first round series. And uh, uh, man, I I don't think that I could be happier if the Pacers played or beat anybody. And I know it'd be terrific if you beat the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. That'd be unbelievable. But beating the Heat in the first round would be about as much fun as I can have. Well, I've seen a lot of NBA writers say that the Heat are a scary matchup for the Bucks in round two. What is it about this Heat team that everybody is so in love with? Because, I mean, I, I know they have good defensive players. I know they have a good coach. But what exactly is it about this team? Because I feel like they overachieved quite a bit this year. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you've got Duncan Robinson, who started his college career at Williams, for God's sake, before going to Michigan. <laughs> you know, and somehow or another, God bless him. Like, you're living the dream. Everybody who goes to Williams, I'm sure, is, is thinking, hey, I could be the next Duncan Robinson. But there's only one of him, and he's a good three-point shooter. Jimmy Butler is a really good basketball player. Bam Adebayo is having a good year. But if you look at the PER of the guys on this team, they've really got two guys who have PERs over 16. And uh, unless you count uh, Crowder, and Crowder's only played 13 games. So really the qualitative level of basketball for that team it is not individually high. It's just kind of the way Spolstra puts them together. He is uh, anybody who thought somehow this guy was riding the coattails and, and, and being the bag boy for LeBron as he coached LeBron and Dwayne and, and Bosch to a championship out of their minds. That guy is the real deal, a terrific coach. And I think that he is the thing that makes the heat go. And he's the thing that you've got to kind of account for as you prepare for them. Yeah, and so I want to I want to talk about Philadelphia and Boston here just for a few minutes because those are possible playoff matchups as well. And I said all year long I really wanted to play Boston because I was so intrigued by Boston not having any centers to guard Sabonis and or Turner. Now, I know a lot of people are worried about what the Celtics could do, but you have to remember this is, you know, a little wishful thinking, but – Gordon Hayward's going to be leaving the bubble when his wife has their baby, so he could possibly be right. out for round one, which is not something you really want to look at, but that's part of it. You know, you won't have to worry about Gordon Hayward, and you, you bring Marcus Smart off the bench. He's a really tough guy, uh, defensive, you know, tough-minded, really great defensive player, but offensively he's limited. So you're really pretty much relying on Kimba Walker, who we still don't know how healthy Kimba is with that knee injury. And you've got, you know, the rising star in Jason Tatum, who's looked great, and Jalen Brown, who's been awesome. You know, I, I feel like that's a decent matchup, too, for the Pacers and something they could really expose. Well, I think that they're very similar in, in this respect, both in the way they match up and then in the way they're sort of a starless team. You know, Tatum, Walker, Brown, Hayward, Smart, Cantor, if you want to dig down that deep. These are all guys who, who play at a high level, play at a high level together. And again, you've got a really, really good young coach in Brad Stevens, not as young as he looks anymore, mm -hmm. but, but still a young coach. And, and so that, that's a team that matches up with the Pacers and everybody else in a really interesting way. You know what you got to do to beat the Bucs. Mm -hmm. I mean, Giannis has a PER of 30-plus points. That's enormous. That, that's a guy, I mean, that's an MVP. All right, you know you got to stop him, and then Middleton as kind of a secondary concern, and now Bledsoe 
with uh, his positive test, that's not good because no. Bledsoe is a beast defensively, and he's quicker than hell with the ball. He moves it in transition exceptionally well. If they lose Bledsoe, that's a gigantic loss. Um, but with the Celtics, it's a little bit different. I mean, if you take away Tatum or try to take away Tatum, then you've got Walker. And if you take away Walker, you've got Tatum and Brown. And if you, ta- I mean, you know, you, you got to pick your poison with that team. And I think that Brad Stevens is really adroit as at utilizing all his weapons on both ends. They are a very tough matchup. And uh, I, I think really, I, I think that that winds up being the Eastern Conference Finals is is the Celtics against the Bucks, and and we see what happens with those two teams. I think that would be a phenomenal series if the mm-hmm. Pacers can't get there. But uh, that matchup with the Celtics, that would be a really, really fun thing to watch. Yeah, it would be, it'd be very intriguing for me. And then uh, the one matchup I just don't want to see at all is Philadelphia versus the Pacers. I Not that I don't think we could beat them. It's just I hate Philadelphia. Uh, and their fans to me might be more annoying than Miami Heat fans, just being <laughs> honest with you. And yeah. – the, the last thing I want to do is watch Embiid go up against Miles Turner and Sabonis because they're going to be infallible 24-7, I feel like. No matter you know what game it is of the series, they're going to – I feel like the, the officials are just going to let Embiid, you know, flop his way into getting them three fouls quick in each quarter. So, you know, I know I know this is your chance for Goga to kind of prove himself, but – yes. You know, yeah, foul trouble for uh, for Turner and Sabonis means one thing, and that's a lot of minutes for Goga and, and a chance for him to get on the floor and display his wares a little bit. The, the one one of the games that I enjoyed most this season at uh, Bankers Life Fieldhouse was an absolute ass kick and that the Pacers authored against the 76ers, oh, yeah. where they absolutely destroyed them. T.J. McConnell was fantastic that game. Um, so I may be a little bit biased because I saw that in person and, and, and I thought, well, this Pacers team is pretty good. And these 76ers absolutely suck, but we know that Joel Embiid is back. He's going to be at full strength, even not entirely at full strength this season. He was averaging almost 24 and 12. And, uh, you know, while we love Sabonis 18 and 12 or 18 and 13, you know what, 24 and 12 is an entirely different beast. And Ben Simmons is a matchup problem straight out of hell. Although, yeah. if Oladipo's playing, then you're big in the backcourt and, and you're not as exposed against Ben Simmons as you would have been otherwise. Yeah, well, I, I noticed that they're actually changing their lineup up a little bit and putting Ben Simmons at the four now with Shake Milton starting, bringing Al Horford off the bench. And Horford was somebody that really gave Sabonis problems. And, and Turner a little bit last year, but more so Sabonis some problems in, in last year's playoffs against Boston. So, you know, I mean, this this Philadelphia team is interesting, but I just I just don't know. There's something about them that makes me nervous, but there's also part of me that doesn't take them that seriously. And I don't know if that's just because, I mean, I think Jimmy Butler was a big contributor to their success last year. Oh, for sure. And losing him in the playoffs, I don't think they're going to be as dangerous as they were last year because last year – they were that close to beating the Raptors. You know, I mean, that game seven was one of the best games of the entire playoffs. So, you know, when when I look at these teams, I'm looking at the coaching matchups too here between Nate McMillan and you're more than likely Brett Brown, Eric Spolscher, and Brad Stevens. Do you think McMillan is the better coach in any of those series? Well, I'll tell you what, I think Nate McMillan's done a hell of a job this year. You know what? Without Oladipo, you're really a starless team. 
You know what I mean? Even though uh, Sabonis made the all-star game, you're, somebody had to score and somebody's got to pull down the rebounds. And, and Sabonis did that. I, I think that he's taken what he's been given by Kevin Pritchard. And, and if you kind of set this up as, as a ratio game of wins to talent, I don't know that anybody's outcoached Nate McMillan. I, I think he's been terrific this year, and I think he's really underrated as a coach, both in, in our local market and nationally. I think people look at Nate McMillan and they think of the guy, you know, with Portland for all those years and with Seattle, and they see a guy who I think has won one playoff series in his career, and they think, okay, this is, you know, Henry T. Mediocre as a head coach. And, and really not a guy that we need to take altogether that seriously. I think that Nate McMillan's done a wonderful job. And I was talking to Mark Monteith about this the other day, about kind of the lifespan of a coach. And Larry, Bra Larry Bird always said it was three years. And with some guys, it is. You know, with Larry Brown, that was about right. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe a little beyond that third year. But with Nate McMillan, it seems like he's not wearing these guys out, that they respect him that they enjoy playing for him. He's got a great staff around him. And uh, I, I think that this is, this is a really, this is a group that's responding exceptionally well to Nate McMillan's leadership. And, and I mean, is he Eric Spolstra? He's not Eric Spolstra and he's not Brad Stevens to more directly answer your question. Yes, but I think you. he's done a really, really good job this season and uh I, I think that the pacers have exactly the right guy with the right unit to go down to orlando and raise some hell okay so i mean i i've i've been more so in the corner of backing mcmillan uh because of what he's done on the regular season but ultimately when you're talking about good coaches you're talking about coaches that have success in the playoffs right? yeah i mean and that's one thing that mcmillan does not have on his resume so while I don't think McMillan is nearly as bad as fans act like he is, I mean, some of these fans act like he has no clue what he's doing, and that's the furthest thing from the truth. But I, I've kind of felt myself, you know, looking at some of his sets. He runs a lot of the same sets. They really struggle with late-game, out-of-bounds situations. They they cannot find a, a great, you know, play. Nobody runs it right. I don't know why they don't execute it correctly. You know, the only time he's really had a late-game closer is just give the ball to Oladipo and get the heck out of the way, right? So it's it's just I feel like he has limitations as a coach. I don't know what the ceiling is for him because I do think that the teams that he's had have been overachievers, like I've mentioned before in this podcast. So it, it's really hard to give him a fair evaluation. But there are rumors, too, that Oladipo is not happy with McMillan. I don't know if that's true or not. It's just a rumor that we've been kind of hearing if Vic's not happy with Nate and that's part of the reason he decides he wants to leave, I mean, do you think Pritchard has to make a decision on McMillan then? Oh, no. I, I don't think Oladipo's that kind of guy. You know, I mean, if if you've got Michael Jordan or if you've got Antetokounmpo or if you've got LeBron, I mean, LeBron, LeBron didn't like David Blatt. Blatt's gone. You know, if uh, uh, when Magic didn't like Paul Westhead, Paul Westhead was gone. Victor Oladipo is neither of those guys. He, he's not the, the franchise guy who's going to dictate policy to the general manager, and he shouldn't. But one of the problems I think we've got with Victor Oladipo is that people look to Victor Oladipo, and this may be a fan thing more than an internal thing with the Pacers, but people look to Oladipo as a guy who should be the leader of this team, and he's not the leader of this team. If you've got Malcolm Brogdon, 
everybody else is playing for second place in terms of leadership. Malcolm Brogdon is the leader of this team, and Victor Oladipo is not that. Now, if Nate ran afoul of Brogdon and Brogdon went to Kevin Pritchard and said, listen, you know what, we need a coach who's more like this than that, I think that Kevin Pritchard would listen. I, I don't think that Victor Oladipo is the kind of guy who can walk into a GM's office and kind of command that kind of respect to be able to make dictates within the organization that are followed through on, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Not to downplay Vic. I love Vic. Victor Oladipo is a really neat dude, and, and he's a terrific, energetic guy, and he's capable of playing great basketball, and he's a capable, obviously a really capable defensive player, led the league in steals last year. A lot of good things about Victor. And so if it sounds like I'm crapping on him, I'm not trying to do that, but he's just not – the kind I, he walks around singing, he competes, he, he's a smart guy, but he's not the kind of guy who's going to dictate. He, he's one of the best 30 players in the NBA, yeah. right? That's who he is. One of the best 30 players in the NBA, that guy does not get a coach fired. Yeah, well, I, I want to. I kind of disagree with you a little bit on the. I know Brogdon is the quote unquote leader of the team, but I also feel like. You know, Oladipo on the court is the leader of the team more so than more so than Brogdon. I think Brogdon might so might more he might be the leader off the court, so to say, the guy that the Pacers put in front of people when they want you know a, a nice PR done. I mean, he might have a great relationship with McMillan. We've heard about their relationship all year long, but I mean, you're not expecting Malcolm Brogdon to help you win a championship. I mean, if you're really expecting to win a championship, Oladipo has got to be your best player, and uh, I know that he's not Michael, and I know that he's not Giannis, but, Kent, my thing is <laughs> you're not getting those type of players walking into Indiana. No. And if your best player who is on the verge of leaving says, hey, you know, I, I can't play for this guy anymore, I don't think that he elevates us. I mean, and if that's your best player on the court saying that, I think you have to listen to him, and I think that he has a little bit more say than than you're saying he should have. Because as much as McMillan and Pritchard are tight and they have success together, personally, I think if Oladipo walks into their office and says, look, part of the reason I might not resign is because of this coach, if I if that gets out because that will get out, that would look really bad on the part of, of Pritchard because, like I said, you don't get a lot of stars here. And if McMillan – I mean, McMillan has to win in the playoffs to even deserve to stay around long term because I'll just tell you as a Pacer fan right now, I'll be very frustrated if I have to watch five more years – of Nate McMillan winning 50 or close to 50 games but never winning a playoff series. And, oh, we competed really hard. We almost beat him. That, that's just boring basketball to root for. It's, it's annoying after a while. Well, let me ask you this. So if Victor Oladipo goes to Kevin Pritchard and says, look, I, I can't play for this guy. This guy's wacko. He's, you know, Sergeant McMillan. I don't want to play for this nut anymore. Uh, so let's make a change. And Kevin Pritchard listens to that and makes a change what the hell kind of a coach are you going to be able to hire on the back end of that with McMillan out the door and and you've got Oladipo who has a big enough voice within the organization to get a coach fired who, who are you going to hire you know what I mean like what coach in his right mind is going to want that gig I mean, I understand that, but I also think you allow Victor to kind of help make the decision. If we're going that far, I mean, ask him what he wants in a coach. Let him Ooh. and Brogdon or him and Sabonis or whomever you consider your top two or three players, allow them to sit in on some of these meetings to see what some of these schemes are, see what they think they can do. Because, I mean, I think there's some coaches out there like 
you know, if Brad Stevens became available, which he's not, but if Spolster or one of those guys became available, though, Oladipo ain't going to have a problem with that. It's got to be a proven coach, and I think someone that he could trust in now. Who that you is, You know, I have if no he idea, wants to I... involve players, good, but have players who, who I think have a really good kind of working understanding of leadership and how it operates. And I think Malcolm Brogdon's that guy. I think that Victor Oladipo is the most talented player on the team, but I think that Malcolm Brogdon behaviorally is the leader of this team, and I think that that's got to be respected. I, I, I do kind of, like, it, it, from a managerial perspective, and this is true in basketball, baseball, football, and business, if you involve the employees and if you involve the staff in the hiring of who their department head is going to be, you are going to have problems. Because what if you involve Oladipo and Brogdon? Or you bring Sabonis in, too. You have these three guys involved in the process of hiring a coach. And they each have three entirely different ideas as to who the coach is going to be. Then who do you hire? Do you hire Vic's guy, Malcolm's guy, or Domas's guy? It gets complicated. And involving well, who's locked Victor- up longer? Well, but then, boy, oh, boy, do you have <laughs> – holy crap. Then you've got locker room issues. I think it's much better for – they got really good people. And I think Victor's got to understand, and everybody – and I'm not saying that he doesn't either. This is all speculation. But these guys have got to trust Kevin and Peter and Chad and Donnie and that front office to do the right thing, hire the right guy, and, and make sure that, that they are well-led. Because if they're not capable of making those decisions themselves, and if Pritchard isn't capable of getting that done and, and hiring correctly, and if he hasn't done that already with Nate, uh, you know, I mean, what are you going to have anyway? You yeah. know what I mean? You got a guy who can't hire a coach, who doesn't have enough confidence in his own ability to seek out and go get the guy who, who puts the Pacers in the best possible position to, uh, to win. And and really, I mean, Alex, they had tremendous turnover and have had tremendous turnover the last two seasons. Yeah. And still, they're clicking away 50 ga- or fifty win seasons and are getting very close to that, not winning in the playoffs. But that's really hard, especially with the turnover they've had. I think Nate McMillan's been absolutely superior a- as a coach in getting the most out of his guys at least in the regular season, and, and we'll see what happens this postseason. But I, I think he's been terrific, and he's a, a pleasure of a guy to deal with. I think he's got a great head for the for the game, both schematically and in terms of personality. Uh, I think he's re- – is he the best coach in the NBA? No. But he's a good coach, and, and if Kevin – first of all, Kevin Pritchard is never going to allow a player – to dictate who he hires as a coach. And second of all, I don't think he should. Yeah, and I mean, the thing about turnover, I mean, unfortunately with the way the NBA is running now, I mean, there's turnover every single year. That's quite a bit to deal with. So I think that's just part of the job requirement when you consider it because a lot of teams, their cores aren't staying together. I mean, unlike, you know, the only one that really seems to be staying together mostly is like Portland, right? With with Dame and CJ, they've been there for a while and the Warriors. But you know, it's it's one of those things where you're constantly getting turnover, constantly players wanting out, players wanting this player on their team, players wanting this, wanting that. You know, I mean, I, I get your point where eventually the players have to just let the uh, the management do their job and they have to be players. But 
these guys at this point too have become so so needy like these major stars have become so needy where they have to have their opinions on everything it's just it almost feels like you have to uh to be considered trustworthy to be considered you know a player's type of management you know like you know if you're gonna come in there like kevin pritchard said oladipo changed the entire environment when he came in here well i mean you've already given oladipo all this praise you've already given him all this uh, you know, leeway to do his own thing. You've let him train with who he wants to train with. I mean, they're just going to keep taking advantage of it. It's it is what it is. I just I'm just excited uh, <laughs> to see the restart. I, this all yeah, all this other stuff is just so much hearsay, and we're not really sure what's going to happen. But I do think that there's a good opportunity here for McMillan to prove his worth, the Pacers to prove their worth, and guys like T.J. McConnell, Doug McDermott, Justin Holiday, T.J. Warren, Miles Turner. To go out there, while they might not be the focal point of the team, show how incredibly important they are to this team and and help this team, once again, like I'm going to say it, overachieve because nobody is talking about the Pacers being a serious threat in the NBA restart. You know, and hopefully they change that. And, and I think they've got the capability to do it. I, I love the second unit, and I like the way that team was coming together the last 11 games with Vic, a part of that puzzle. And uh, so we'll see. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've, we've got a few days until they uh, they begin this this journey together. And, and I think it's going to be unbelievably cool and unbelievably, like, weirdly unpredictable because nobody knows what it's going to be. They're going to be – they're playing in ballrooms, right, and in arenas and stuff. <laughs> they're practicing in ballrooms. Who has any idea what could possibly happen in this thing? It's uh, you talk about, you know, throw out the record books here. Literally, you do throw out the record books and and you just see who can ball best on a day to day basis. And why can't that be the Pacers? Yeah, this is without a doubt the craziest thing we've seen in the NBA as far as the restart, what's going on, the bubble, COVID-19 and all that fun stuff. So, you know, Kent, it's really fun to be back, talk some Pacers basketball with you. It's been a while since we've got to do this. And thank God we didn't have to do their top five list, right? You know, it's, uh, right. it's, fun, it's fun talking about some of that stuff. But eventually, you know, you're ready to talk about real basketball. So next week we'll be able to come back, talk about what we saw from those scrimmages. I'm going to preview some of those scrimmage games with Fachi later in the week. But I will say this. I'm excited to see how your guy, Gogo, looks when he returns. I'm, ex- I'm interested to see. <laughs> What he did during this quarantine, because you know they the Pacers need him to be a huge part of their of their future. You know, it, I think he's an interesting guy, and I, I know he could about it. This has been an odd rookie season for a a, a guy who I think's got all kinds of talent. We're going to see what he what he brings to Baron Orlando, but I think really maybe he's two years out from being exactly the kind of guy that I'm telling you that he he can be, and and I think that his growth from year to year is going to be really, really interesting. And and what I hope doesn't happen, because they've got Vic, or Vic, they've got Domas and Miles under contract for, you know, a significant period of time. Um, you know, I hope Gogo is, is able to become part of the rotation and doesn't get traded. Yeah. Because I think at some point, if somebody does trade for him, it, they're going to get all they want in Goga Batadza. I love the way he works and I love the way he shoots it and I love the way he blocks shots. So, I mean, he's, he's kind of a stretch five who, uh, who I think can be a significant piece of a cha- uh, championship puzzle. 
Yeah, and and one of those teams I can see calling about Goga is uh, is San Antonio. It wouldn't surprise me if they had interest in him. And another team, surprisingly, I think that uh, Toronto could be a team that has interest in him with both Gasol and Ibaka. You know, getting a little bit older. I know uh, Gasol's a little bit older than Ibaka with contracts expiring, so they might want a cheaper route. You know, and the Pacers have already you know made some deals with Toronto throughout the past ten years. So it's uh yeah, it's one of those things where you never know what to expect, but. At the end of the day, I mean, I, I'm with you. Goga makes sense for the Pacers long term if he can become what you think he can become, and the fact that they'll have him for, you know, at least his rookie extension plus another five years after that if he signs that deal. So you're talking nine years of Goga. I think that'd be really fun to see, Kent. Nine years of Goga sounds like a terrific movie. <laughs> nine years of Goga would be like one of those European movies that lasts three and a half hours and it's got subtitles. And in the end, you're ch- you're kind of scratching your head wondering what the hell you just sat and watched. But you know it was pretty good. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, All right, Kit. Well, we'll be back next Sunday sometime to talk about Pacers basketball and uh, see what's going on. But thanks again for coming on. And where can we find your new podcast? I mean, is this new or is this uh, just on a different platform now? It's on a different platform, but it's also a different format. Okay. So it's it's mostly interviews, uh, Zoom calls, and uh, so it, it's on all the all the wherever you get podcasts is where you can get it. And uh, then everything kind of funnels into KentSterling.com as well. But now I've got a a, a Substack uh, site and a uh, you know Anchor.fm site, and so it's everywhere. But everything aggregates to my Twitter feed and to KentSterling.com. Perfect. So if you guys don't know, you can find Kent Sterling at KentSterling or KentSterling.com. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. And if you're listening to this podcast, once again, thank you so much for listening. Go subscribe if you haven't already. And we hope that you have a fantastic day and a fantastic rest of your week. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.